Hello and welcome back to the Behind the Business podcast. Apologies for my bunged upness, suffering with a bit of a cold at the moment, but we persevere. Um, this week's chat, chat number 21 for the Behind the Business music industry podcast, is with an old uni friend of mine, Andy Bybee. Uh, this chat actually happened over a year ago. Apologies for that. Um, I'm definitely going to be getting him back on to talk about some of the stuff that he's been doing over the past well few months, especially regarding uh, his tour management work. Um, he's currently, as I speak, on tour in the US, so I really do want to get him back on to talk about that. Uh, but I also want to get him back on to talk about how things have progressed with some of the acts that you will hear him talk about when it comes to his management side of things. As I mentioned, I went to university with Bibes, and we also lived together for a few years in South London. Uh, we spoke mostly about his career trajectory uh, as he toiled a bit when he first got going, when we first moved to London. Uh, was very much a self-starter. He got himself internships. He got himself low or unpaid work. And he also bought himself a van as well. Uh, something that he chats about in the podcast, uh, but he persevered and it's gone from strength to strength and it really does, well, it really has paid off uh, that perseverance. So I'll shut up. I'll be back at the end with a bunch of links to where you can find vibes online and also some of his acts. But until then, without further ado, here is my chat with Andy Bybee. Cheers. So what's the new endeavour? Uh, so uh, I am a freelance artist manager and consultant, for want of a better term. Right. What does that mean? Oh, it, it, who knows what it means? Now, uh, my, my primary gig, my primary role is being an artist manager for uh, a number of uh, new and exciting artists. How many? So I currently look after uh, three myself. Artist called Axel Flovent, who's an Icelandic artist. Uh, currently based in the Netherlands. Um, I also look after a neoclassical artist called Votra Phantom, who's also based in uh, Utrecht in the Netherlands, right. which uh, we're about to launch uh, a project with uh, soon, sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. And um, I work with a singer-songwriter from London called Sam Lana. And how did all of those come about? Well... Axel's a funny one. Mm -hmm. It's a nice story, so I'll tell this one. Go for it. Um, so I, my, my, my history and my past uh, was that I worked uh, for six years at One Little Indian Records, who are a independent record label based out of South London, uh, who work with um, artists such as Bjork, uh, Asgia, work with Catherine Williams, Sugar Cube, Sneaker Pimps, um, hundreds of artists over the years, but... Through the Bjork connection, we worked with a lot of Icelandic artists. My um, kind of primary focus when working at One Little Indian was working with an artist called Asgir, who's a, an Icelandic sensation who, out of nowhere, overnight, uh, went from being an unknown artist from a town of 40 people in 
in Logerbaki in um, the northwest of Iceland to uh, selling 30,000 copies of his debut album in Iceland and being an absolute sensation mm-hmm. and a superstar. Uh, so One Little Indian signed Esgear probably back in 2012. And I ended up working as the international marketing manager running two album campaigns for him. So fast forward to uh, spring 2017. It was about this time last year. I was out doing promo with Asgear across um, Europe on the, the second record, Afterglow. And we met Axel Flovent, who is uh, an Icelandic artist. They are cousins. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, well, they're not cousins, but this is Icelandic, so it's all a bit weird. Asgi is actually his uncle, but there's only like two years apart from them. They share the same... Asgir's father is Axel's grandfather. So yeah, technically Asgir's Axel's uncle, but on the press release it says cousins. That's fine. <laughs> um, and, and I met Axel and we hit it off and we, um, we were out doing promo, went out for a few beers. Actually, uh, the night we met, I took him to see Busted. Like you do, like you do in Perfect the par- in, in the Paradiso in, uh, and I think that's what swayed it really. Um, <laughs> and you know, we were we were chatting. He did, you know, was discussing uh, issues he was having as an artist, and um, basically asked me to help him and come on board as part of his management team with another, with his current manager who was his big artist manager in Iceland, but also looks after a, a number of acts out that way. At that time, you were working full-time for a I label. I was working full-time for a label, so I said... Was managing an artist ever in your wheelhouse? Was it something that you were thinking about doing I've, or anything like that? Or was it just kind of chance you thought, why not? It's one of those things where I never chose... Sorry, I'm just pouring coffee here, just for if anyone can hear something that sounds like we. <laughs> Uh, would you like one, mate? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah. I'm all right. Um, no, I, no, so I, he asked me would I help him. I was like, look, I'm in employment. I'm, I'm busy. I'm really busy with this Asgir project. I can't really commit to doing this. Fast forward a couple of months and I'd left One Little Indian and I met Axel and Asgir on the London show, which was only a couple of weeks after I'd left One Little Indian. And Axel came up to me backstage at the show because I went in and saw them at early doors. And was like... I hear you're not working anymore. Do you want to manage me now? So I think he had a clear right. incentive to want to work with me because I've given him a lot of advice but over it was, the it was couple very of much months at, period. At that time, you were you, you turned him down because um, you had a job. I I was always keen gonna... on. I mean, I've always been keen on being a manager, and I think that's where this endeavour's come from. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to be. I've, yeah, kind of. When you work as a marketing person, I'm sure we'll go over all of this soon. Um, you kind of you're, you're very involved in all aspects of the project because as the marketing representative, you tend to have your finger in all the pies. So you work really closely with the manager, and you know you end up almost being the manager without being the manager, especially on projects that are managed badly, right. so to speak. Mm-hmm. And working at an independent record label in a place where there's also unmanaged artists, um, artists in you know very different stage of their career than you know the major label model. We represented many artists and basically acted as their manager. So it's it's a skill set that kind of came naturally to me anyway. But it's always something I had done over the years on and off whilst working at a label and not working at a label, when being a tour manager, when not being a tour manager. Mm-hmm. If something came up and it was, I was excited enough to work with it and I felt passionately enough about it, then I would go for it. And I think with this Axel thing, in the back of my mind, I was like, 
I almost know it, it's going to come around at some point. And then it did. And it's for me, it's brilliant. You know, we've got a great working relationship. He's the hardest working artist I've ever, ever worked with. Cool. His passion's in the right place. He's just an absolute superstar to me. And that's the what I want from an artist that I work with. You know, having worked on projects where you could, I've worked with a number of divas. I've worked with a bunch of people who are ambivalent to their art or ambivalent to their music skills. To work with someone who actually gives a shit and wants to work is the biggest, biggest plus point for me. Because it means I, if I'm working on a project, I want it, I want to give it everything I can. I don't want to sit back and be half-assed on it. So that's something that you're actively seeking out for? Something that you're looking out for in those people that, are, that you want to work with? You don't want to work with someone who doesn't care? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked with artists that don't care, and if the artist doesn't care, why should anyone else care about their project? And I think it's such a valid point. I mean, Common sense. <clears throat> this comes from, you know, being on the, the indie side, and mm-hmm. yeah, this, this is something that you know, you, I'm sure you'll speak to people who work for major labels, people who work in marketing or A&R or promo or anything, and yeah, if you work with the artists who don't care, but they're in the major label system, they're almost like... Yeah, the machine can move things forward, whereas it, at an indie, if you're running an international campaign, you're one person rather than you know fifty people across a Universal or a Sony or a Warner office. So if you don't do the work, no one's going to do it. So you are totally and utterly responsible for mm-hmm. working these projects. So I suppose that's where like the you know the graft comes from. And if you yeah, I'm, I, I'd like to think I'm a grafter. If I'm working for something, I I'll dig in and and properly work it. What's the state of independent music looking like at the moment? It's, I think it's quite healthy. I think yeah. we're in a, we've, we've hit a curve and music and the industry has hit a curve where although streaming in its whole overlooking state is was considered extremely bad. It's actually the primary source of income for the whole music industry now, and people can survive. I think if you're an independent artist, if you're an unsigned artist right now, you, you, you're in an absolutely wonderful position to be in control of your destiny mm-hmm. because there are deals out there that are extremely artist-friendly and savvy. Um, there are traditional independent label deals that are still much more favourable to the artist than a major label deal but obviously there's a major label deal that pays and affords you to be able to do lots more things yeah but yeah in general I think the the state of music the industry itself has kind of sustained itself through this weird and wonderful 10-15 years of strangeness which is you know the, the, the time when we all got into music I think we've weathered that storm and it's going to be quite exciting to see where it goes next do you think 2018 is a good time to go it alone like you are at the moment i think it it, yeah i think it's we're in a position where you can do uh, yeah i think you need experience to be able to do go alone and do things yourself and yeah i'm lucky that i have an amount of experience Mm -hmm. in a number of areas these days and i think you've got to build that contact base. If you have a contact base that can help you out in times when you need it or, you know, can your contact base can get you through to helping your artist through, there's no reason why no, anyone can't do it themselves. 
Um, Sam's a singer-songwriter from London who, again, um, we met through chance through another artist that was uh, as part of our, my company's management roster. Um, we went to see a show, met up with, basically we had our big Christmas party and we were uh, having a bunch of beers in the Lexington in London. Nice. And I missed actually missed Sam's show, but we were chatting and he again he was affable and gave a shit and spoke passionately about his project which made me actually want to go and listen to him so the next day when he gets in touch with here's the link by the way it's like you get it you get this you understand where the situation is we listen to the music the music's great um so at the moment we're in the development stage where we're taking a bit of time to work on the songs and Mm -hmm. and get the get the strategy right before we launch it out to the world so Within the next two or three months, we will have some recorded music and ready to launch to the uh, to the wider music industry. Because okay. by the time this comes out, uh, you know, he'd be a superstar and we'll have a big deal with loads of money, right? Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. It's what I like to what I like to hear: positivity. Sometimes sort of I, I I used to be negative. I think I'm quite positive <clears throat> at the moment. I think it helps, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I suppose you go through stages Coming from of a grumpy git. I mean, I'm a, I'm a grumpy git too. I'm quite happy being... I was really grumpy at One Little Indian by the end, but... Do you reckon that's because of just the machine that's around you, however large it is? I mean, I've spoken to quite a few people and at indies and at majors and in different areas of the music business and you do get a sense of... There's people that think that work is also their extended family and so they're really comfortable, they're really happy... And they love every minute of it. And then there's the, kind of the, the grind as I've, well of those people that aren't necessarily quite as happy in, in the machine, so to speak. I think the, the machine's the thing that can, can pull you down. I think through, you know, music is a, is a wonderful thing. And through music, yeah, my whole friendship base, the whole, everyone I know, everyone I, I, I like to think are close friends in, in London or outside of London, I know through music, mm-hmm. like we met through music, like we, it's, that was 10 years ago and through each other and through helping our peers through a university and through the early stages of getting paid, you know, dick all money in the music <laughs> industry. Nothing at all. Yeah, you know, like peanuts, you know, getting paid 30 quid cash in hand to work on the door at the Water Rats uh, years ago. Yeah, that, yeah, we've all been through it and that's where you kind of, you have that mutual respect for each other, but that's where you know close friendships are, are built and made. Mm-hmm. And I think if you spend, I personally think if you spend too long in any place in in a working environment, it can drag you down because you become just far too associated with everything around it. You know too much almost in some places. I think some you know change is good. You know when I, when I left one little Indian last uh, you know start of last year my whole mood lifted and it wasn't for the fact that I was unhappy at One Little Indian but I needed a change and I think people need change sometimes Mm and when you are in I mean I was in a system for six years and you see the same it's a small place you see the same eight to ten people every day and if things aren't going right and you know the mood is down in an office it can drag you down it really can be bad for everyone around them yeah this whole kind of 
negative aura that comes with it you know so working on new projects like really does lift you in a way are you enjoying being the person making the decisions i love it now because i'm guessing that's something that's something that i've struggled with in the past kind of being part of a team but not being necessarily the lead part of that team and therefore having to do work that you might think needs to be done slightly differently or anything like that whereas now you're kind of you're you know you're working for yourself you're your own boss you're the decision maker it's it's it's, it's, it's that accountability i think like the amount of work that you sometimes would have to do in a team for other people because they're incapable of doing tasks so yeah and that's what happens in small teams and in small industries like the independent music sector mm-hmm. You have to graph really hard, and if someone doesn't pull their weight, you know, I think in a, in a bigger system, you can pass the buck or pass the blame, and there's lots of people on many emails all the way down the line. At the end of the day, if it, does, if it gets to you and you've done your bit, it's great, but if someone around you hasn't done it, in a small team, you sometimes have to do that work for someone else, mm. and that's frustrating. So being in the position where you're in charge and you see the income and the outcome, you go, well, that's... I know what we're making. I know what I know, yeah, I know where my finances are. I know where everything's happening. Yeah, I feel responsible and accountable for everything that's happening. And it's a great position to be in because I can see the money line and I know what strategy I want to imply. And if and no one's going to tell me no, an artist might be might tell me no. But that's where we work together as, as a very small team. And yeah. you know, we are we collectively the manager and the artist are the artist. Mm-hmm. Have you got an end goal for for the new endeavour? Millionaire. Nice, nice. (laughs) House in the Bahamas. You've got got three artists at the moment. Do you have a number of artists that you think is is the right number of artists Um, to have on a roster for what you're doing at the moment? You don't want to take on too many. you You never want to take on too many. You never want to be over or underworked, I think. A lot of work goes into the early stages of an artist. And yeah, it can be really frustrating if you do a lot of work for two years and nothing happens. And you make no money if you're if you're a manager. It's your responsibility. And sometimes you could sink your own money into a project. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And that's mm-hmm. the frustrating part and of being in that early stages. But that's the exciting part. Because if you're the manager and you can go and get the deal or the publishing deal or the, you know, the, the support or, so, yeah, the... the, the you know, the, the, the benches, the stage marks across the time that that you get as an artist, that's the rewarding thing. And I think I'm, at the moment, I would I would happily take on more artists, but I've got to believe in the artists I want to take on. But I wouldn't want to take on many more than, you know, four artists at any one time that I'm working solely on. If you suddenly start co-managing and working with yeah, other yeah. people, then it's, it's vastly different. And, you know, along with managing right now, I'm doing a little bit of tour management. I do a little bit of consultancy work for mm-hmm. a number of different people. I do a bit Portfolio of Portfolio. Yeah, a bit, bit of lecturing in there, a <laughs> bit, bit of chatting, pay to chat occasionally. That's quite nice. Always helps. <laughs> but really yeah, all, all of these things are, you know, that that's what I, I'm enjoying doing it because I get to manage my own time. I'm not on anyone else's clock. If I want to go and trip off into town to go uh, and have a pint at any time, I can. And I'm not going to have someone breathing down your neck going, well, why are you going out there? Yeah. And that's a quite, and that's got, yeah, uh, uh, when you get to the that, that stage where you're 10 years into a career, I suppose, you, you should be allowed a little bit of freedom. Music's the wild, wild west. You can, you know, as long as you're... Is it still the wild, wild west? Yeah. 
2018, it's all digital, it's all it's all keywords and SEOs and stuff like that. Yeah, Can it but really it's all, still be the wild, wild west? Yeah, but it's all he said, she says, and someone's always oh, chatting to him, so I need to go and chat to her. And I mean, <clears throat> that's the exciting part, though. You know, that that's never going to change. And yeah, the people might change <clears throat> over the years and new people come in or people leave, but the game still remains the same. And that's what's... There's a song in there somewhere, isn't there? I'm sure it's a rap. <laughs> so, so you genuinely think that there is that element of it would just not change, even as culture around, around us changes? I think the, the deals change and the money changes, but the, the game still remains the same. People are, you know, the, the A&R circle chase artists someone's chatting to someone no we want to chat to someone you know they're, they're like kids in a playground i want that toy no i want that toy no i want that toy and it's fascinating and to then see they break the toy <laughs> <laughs> and the artist quits and goes to work to costa yeah nice <laughs> So you mentioned earlier um, time spent on the door at the Water Rats. I, re- I remember that time well. Um, that was just after uni. There yeah. was a, there was a fairly lengthy amount of time between uni and kind of what you probably would say was your first real job. Lo- well, not real job, but kind of long term settled position. Was there ever a, a time when you were thinking? Huh. Is this ever going to happen or not? I think it it would it was a fun time. Like I think we, we left the university and um, collectively was managing a band called East Strike West, who were a fantastic band, hardest band in the world to work with. <laughs> Won't get too much into detail, but uh, you know there 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 was uh, some inner demons and inner workings in that band, which uh, made it all struggle. But yeah, that yeah that's negativity surrounding. A project, I suppose, but mm-hmm. you know, I left university and wanted to pursue a career in radio more than anything. Obviously, you hear this voice and go, "Danny Champion, who's that wonderful Welsh bloke with a lovely voice and delectable tones that could work really well on the radio?" <laughs> That's Andy Bybee. He's a wonderful man. We should employ him on the radio. He should talk. I digress. Um, but yeah, I wanted to work in radio, but you know, there were opportunities were few and far between, and yeah, you know, we. Looking back on that, do you think that was a bullet dodged? Bearing in mind what's happening, what you know, the the, the way radio is going. I don't know. I now. mean, I mean, I, say, I, I, I listen to more podcasts than music these days. I think there's there's exactly. still an ap- absolute opportunity to do. I think yeah, again, there's more opportunities in that world ten years down the line than there was when we left university, which. Yeah, you're now exploring with this project. Yep. I've got a podcast project in mind. I won't mention it too much yet, just in case uh, I give you the exclusive scoop. Marketing, marketing. <laughs> but yeah, I left. I left university. Stumbled into a, a job working on the door, um, working on a stage um, for a promoter across a bunch of uh, London venues. I was working at the Water Rats, two two nine, the Underbelly, sometimes the Scarlet. It was okay. I mean, it was, it, it, it paid away. I managed to buy a van from the wages of doing that and managed to carve a career in touring for a couple of years after 
buying a van and being a tour manager for hire. East Strike West, who we worked with, was our primary project, and I, I spent you know, the best part of two years on the road with them on and off. We must have done about 100 shows in the end. I mean, that, yeah, that, that was a definitely way of earning your salt, I mm-hmm. suppose. Yeah, you being a being a road dog, spending, you know, two, three weeks on the road, working, uh, sleeping in a van, in the cold in you know the, you know February March time of year. Oh, oh yeah, it, yeah, it put, put hairs on your chest. But I think I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't change any of that because that that experience I think was really vital to you know full circle. Ten years later, I'm now doing a little bit of touring work again with a great artist called Reese Lewis, and I'm looking at it going, God, it's been a while since I toured, but nothing's ever going to be as bad as it was. So if you look at these opportunities and go, it's quite nice, I can book this hotel. Oh, we can stay in a twin room rather than uh, eight people slip, sleeping on a travel lodge floor or someone trying to sleep in the bath on a, you know, and a, <sighs> arriving at 4am on a motorway in Nottingham or something. Yeah, it, I think those times, we'll, I, I look back on them fondly in a strange way because they weren't great. And yeah, the money wasn't good, but you undercut people to survive and you did and I toured a lot around the UK and I did some dates in Europe and it was some of it was great some of it was horrible but I wouldn't change it and it's it it's and yeah and through you know whatever we've done you know you kind of that's how your story builds and what you get up mm-hmm. to and, and where you build so <clears throat> you know I fell into after touring for a couple of years and uh, young Boris Johnson brought in his new rule of uh, emissions within uh, central London I had to sell my van so I sold my van and a opportunity came up at One Little Indian Records mm-hmm. which happened to be around the corner yeah 300 metres away from uh, our house in Ballon which was pretty convenient I mean there'd be times where I didn't leave Ballon for like a month it's great <laughs> never having to commute never having to go through that struggle so that was always lovely mm-hmm. in the in in that kind of London, you know, seeing people bogged down by commuting every day, yeah. and you're going, <laughs> I could rock out of bed five minutes before I start. Never did. Always first in. Always opened the office because I was an absolute professional. Didn't professional really have is. an excuse not to. Be no, either. I could never be snowed in though, could I? <laughs> <laughs> no. Right. So, but, where do you think you learnt the most? Where? Yeah. Oh, one little Indian for sure. I lo- I loved it, I and mean, I look back on that. The journey through, I mean, I started as an intern. I I walked in on my first day and I sat in the warehouse and packed Bjork CDs for mail order to go out, which had, which should have gone out months before, but didn't because independent label, whatever had happened, had happened. Right. Someone made something go wrong somewhere. So, yeah, five interns packed loads of CDs and posted them out. And that's what, that's part of the, was part of what happened. Um, and I was kept on and I did around the warehouse for a year and I, and then they realised oh you actually know a little bit more than just a kid who works in the warehouse I said yeah I've spent two three years on the road I know how to do how promo works and I've worked with labels and major label artists so more work got thrown at me and it's like do you want to help do some digital stuff yeah I could do that no problem and just more and more stuff got thrown at me until, yeah, probably about 18 months into that, being there, um, the girl who was running the international department left and said, do you want to do international? I was like, yeah, 
course I can. Do you I think that's quite standard within labels of that size? Yeah. People chop and change and mm. get offered the yeah, so, yeah, I'm I'm sure when I left someone was gifted a new opportunity because oh, a job role would be split up and people would be given lots more mm-hmm. yeah, responsibility than maybe their experience had allowed them to, but you know, an indie label would be paying a lot less wages than someone doing the same role at a major label. Yeah. You know, within the scheme of things, like I don't think my wages changed that much in like five years of doing international there, which is harrowing in a way because mm-hmm. <laughs> you see people can move if you're in a system like a major label where you can go from a you know an international assistant to an international coordinator to an international product manager to an international marketing manager to a marketing director yeah you can go up through all these stages and and your wages will increase quite a lot through that but an indie is pretty much yeah you do international and that's it and you continue to do international to you know you, you can never go up you can never progress your title's never going to change. You're always going to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what artists and what projects come through. But I remember my first my first promo trip I was given was to go meet an artist called Olaf Arnold in Milan. I remember I booked the flight, got on the first flight out of Gatwick to Milan, flew into Malpensa, which is basically in Switzerland, getting a... I had the credit card, like the business credit card, and then I was like, I'll get a taxi into the city. 90 euros later, I had to go and get a cash point out somewhere. In the, I was like, see, 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 stop, stop, go and get cash. I had to go get cash out, pay the taxi 100 euros or whatever it was to, to get into town. Rocked up, met Olaf in a um, radio studio in Milan. I was like, my God, this is different. I wasn't expecting to be doing this a couple of weeks ago. And mm-hmm. yeah, a full day of promo and a show and... You meet promo teams, and and then suddenly that just became the norm. And then like I got the first flight back out. Of, I remember getting to the hotel about two in the morning after being doing promo and then doing after show and some drinks and stuff. And then realizing my flight was at seven, so having to get up two hours later, get the same hour long taxi back with nice. more cash yeah, to get back and flying back out of Malpensa and getting into the office for opening hours. <laughs> Do you reckon that, you've got that? Again, in your future now, working with artists again, or is that gonna, is that somebody else's job? Depends. Depends <laughs> what what the trip is. <laughs> if you it's know, somewhere nice. No, well, this I'm going to New York next week. <laughs> I'll, I'll do the New York trip. But you know, we're we're gonna go and do. We're we're shooting a video out in New York with Axel in a couple. So by the time this comes out, it the video should be out. I mm-hmm. hope. I won't say too much, just in case it's not. It's fine. <laughs> um, but we're going to New York, so that's a tr- and we're going to have a bunch of meetings with our publishing company and, and record labels, and that's going to be quite exciting. So that's a trip that we'll space out over. We're flying first thing Monday and coming back last thing Friday. Nice flight times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the six a.m. like the promo trips, like the Asgia promo trips. We did two weeks away and went to like I think at one point we did seven, no, eight countries in seven days on promo, and that was. That was intense, and yeah, we were trying to do it all on a budget and flying budget airlines and no sleep and very little. Uh, it's just busy, but again, I wouldn't change it because it was great fun. Things like promo trips like that, you learn that on as you go. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, there's no, there's no. Is there really any way of 
learning what you know, being being able to know what to expect before you get there or is it just about kind of going well let's expect the unexpected it's i mean in theory all your promo schedules should be organized well in advance you should know where you're going you know where you're staying at least and you know when your flights are you're relying on your teams in each territory to help you guide you around cities and and get you from place to place you know you sometimes you'd be at a radio one minute and then you've got to go and do a tv that evening then you've got to go and play a show or mm-hmm. so you've got to i mean that's where the tour manager part of experience comes into a job but you know, that was easy for me because it's just organization that's tour management to me mm-hmm. yeah i'm doing it now with um with reese we're going on tour in a couple of weeks putting together the tour schedules like huh okay that's that's not hard for me because I've done, I've been, you know, every venue that's on this run, I think bar one I've been to before across Europe, you know, we're doing 13, 14 shows. And I've never, and that's not with touring, that's with being on international promo runs and meeting people and going to see artists in these venues and going and meet and greets and big promo shows with labels and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so all these places we're going to, been to before. So, like, your experience, like, oh, we're going to Utrecht. Oh, I know what I'm doing in Utrecht. I know where the venue is. I know what hotel we should stay in. I know what we should do. So the experience comes into play. But, mm-hmm. yeah, those first few, uh, yeah, they're hairy because you just, something could always go wrong. I mean, <laughs> I've done a promo trip where we were three days in and, uh, I'll get, yeah, so it was with a, a band called Samaris, uh, Icelandic trio, two uh, girls really organised and, uh, and a lad who's not very organised. Then uh, we flew from, I think we flew from Milan to Paris. Let's say that anyway. So we, we landed in Charles de Gaulle Airport. Everyone got everything, you know. Yeah, yeah, go pick up all our equipment. Get in a cab to the hotel. Get to the hotel. Get to the hotel, check in. And you're meant to show, you know, check, show your passport, a check in. They scan it, blah, blah, blah. Doddy, the lad's tapping his pockets going... It's like, you okay, mate? Passport. Like, where is it, mate? I need your passport. Goes through all his bags, can't find his passport. He realises that he's left his passport on the plane. <sighs> he's left it in the front pocket of the plane. I mean, I've left a book in the front pocket of a plane before, but not my passport. <laughs> I mean, luckily, he was, he's Icelandic, so <clears throat> we managed to, to, to problem-solve the day by sending the girls off to do promo with the promo team. Me and Doddy went to the Icelandic embassy, sat in there for three hours, had to go and get some passport photos taken, got my replacement passport, and we got in the Eurostar the next day to London, and we had a replacement passport. Luckily, that was with the Icelandic... Problem solving. Yeah, luckily we were with the Icelandic embassy, who were... Yeah, there's not many of them, so it's easy to fix. (laughs) Had had we been looking for a British passport in Paris there, and a new one, we'd probably still be there now about five years later. (laughs) Right. So yeah, so you kind of you have to you're learning on the fly. You're expecting the unexpected. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it's all it's all part of the journey, I suppose. Did you, I love you know, it. You, we did a music business degree course. Doesn't really teach you how to sort out a lost passport in. No, but I don't <coughs> in Europe. <laughs> But Does I don't it? think a degree course is, is ever meant to teach you no, that. Very true. I think, yeah, these are all you know experiences you get on the on the road or as part of the journey. I mm-hmm. mean, like 
there's been times when I've seen an artist miss a flight. It's really frustrating when that flight's to Australia. Oh, <laughs> because because they're in the wrong terminal of Heathrow. You need, but these things happen. Yeah. So you know, I've sat in in the house on a Saturday morning, trying to phone my boss, not being able to get through to my boss, and going, "What would he do in this situation?" Okay, I'm just booking the next flight. We have to justify another two thousand pounds worth of flights mm-hmm. on the marketing spend or on the promo spend, and that gets factored in. That means we can't spend two grand somewhere else sucks but yeah. yeah if we don't send them out there then we potentially lose like five six thousand album sales off the back of that mm-hmm. so it's working out what situations uh, yeah. you, you need to just go i'm taking my initiative here and i'm just doing it i don't care yeah so and now being my own boss it's like oh i'll just get them on the next if you put them on the next flight that's what yeah. we've got to do. It's going to cost money. It's going to cost money, but we have to, we have to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't sacrifice one for the other. Okay. Let's go back a bit further. Grew up in Cardiff. Aye. Did you, think you, you, did you always think you'd have to leave? To um, do what you wanted to do? I don't know. I don't really know what I wanted to do. I, I was working in football. I was doing really well at football in, uh, in 2005, okay, well, right. 2006. Then I'll, I'll re, reword that. Do you think you have to be in London to work in the music industry to a, to a point? Yes and no. I think you need to know people in London. I think you can get away with it, but... I wouldn't be able to do anything I'm doing right now if I wasn't in London. Right. And yeah, being being a manager right now, knowing I you know, at any point if I needed to go and have a meeting with someone, I could pop up to go and do something. It takes me forty minutes to get from home into town. I can go and be anywhere in London within an hour. That's important. If I was living in Manchester, I would have to take uh, yeah, a day out of the schedule and it costs a lot of money to come down. Well, I was going to say, there's, up those there's an awful lot of the music industry that is not in London. Yeah. I know that there's, you know, the majority of labels and publishers and things like that are based in London. Uh, there's a lot more people basing themselves out in the Manchesters, the Bristols, the Sheffields and all that sort of stuff. Um, is it easier? Um, no. I mean, I've heard lots of labels have gone... I don't need to be in London anymore. I don't, I think it, 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 so, so. Sometimes you need to be in London, sometimes you don't. I mean, plenty of artists aren't from London. Precisely. But London's the most important city for music in the UK still. Mm -hmm. The labels are based here, the majority of labels are based here, the publishers, um, everyone you need to see. If you need to, you know, meet all your agents, your agents are going to be based here, apart from couple who are dotted around there might be some in Brighton but it's still the hub if you go to France you have to be in Paris to be doing music mm-hmm. realistically if you go, well, to, I mean, if in... you go to the America you, there's three or four places you go to Germany there's three or four places you can be from around but London is London yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's still I mean we're blessed somewhat with the fact that the land mass is somewhat smaller yeah, America. It's... You know, getting to LA or New York from Utah <laughs> is a little bit more of a trip than getting to 
Manchester or London for yeah. an afternoon. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. I think you can you can not be in London and get by, I think, to... Well, I mean, are any of your artists based in London? You said that two what? of them are in Holland. Yeah, but, I, but I'm working with interna- international artists, mm-hmm. quote unquote. You know, I'm working with an Icelandic artist that was signed to a Dutch record label. I don't need them to be in... His publishers are in London, but they're a global publishing company. They don't have a Dutch office, but they've got a big German office. They've got a big London office. They've got a big New York office. They've got a big LA office. Mm -hmm. You probably know more than me. Where else have they got offices? (laughs) I think they've got one in Hong Kong, perhaps. Maybe that's the next trip then. Business trip out there. I think there's stuff going on out out that that way. (laughs) Anyway. What's the thing that you get the most out of? At the moment. Uh, and on the flip side, what's the shittiest bit? I think uh, the, my, the most, the best thing you see as an artist, uh, as an artist manager or a label or a marketing person is that first sellout 200 cap show. The show that allows you, is the gatekeeper to being able to progress. Mm-hmm. So... Working with artists, you know, you saw it with touring quite a lot and you saw it with artists that were doing well at, at, you know, if you're at the label. If you're able to sell out those first 200 tickets and then you can start increasing the venue size and people uh, have to start paying attention because they've sold that out so they're going to move up to this and then you sell that out. Looking at someone like Asgear and the two-year trajectory, which we started off, the first London show was a place called The Miller in London Bridge and it's 100 cap, sold out. Then we did Bush Hall, 350, sold out. And that's the moment you're like, hang on, something's happening here. Well, let's put on a Union Chapel, see how we're going to do. 800 tickets, sold out. Move up. Oh, we're going to put Shepherd's Bush on in six months' time. 2,000 sold out. We're making progress. Yeah, that's seeing the trajectory over two years. Seeing the progress. I mean, that's the the best thing. And, And yeah, along the way, things might get to a level and fall down or they might not reach the next step but that first the excitement that everyone in the team feels at that first 200 cap show is is a really nice feeling that's the the mm-hmm. the, the proud moment i think we're like hang on we're on to something here and the negative yeah what's the shitty bit um working with idiots <laughs> in the loosest possible term without giving too much away <laughs> I mean, you always have to work with people you think are not very good. I mean, there's nothing worse than being an artist manager and being given a team at a label to work with and then being what you feel inferior to what the project deserves or mm-hmm. what, or junior to you. I mean, like I've worked as a manager with a label and going, I've just been given the, the marketing assistant to run this project. I mean, I've got ten, almost 10 years of active marketing experience I'm ending up running this project and this kid's being paid to work for me. It's like, that's frustrating. That's really frustrating. It happens, and I know it happens, but like not having a clear path or a clear, you know, that's working with people who just are not good at what they do, who constantly make mistakes, that's that's frustrating. Mm-hmm. I find that really frustrating. But that, that that's life. That comes with, that's not just music, that's everywhere. <laughs> there are idiots It's very everywhere. diplomatic of you, <laughs> I have to admit. But yes, yes, fair enough. One bit of advice that you can give to those 
wanting to get in, either new artists coming up, bear in mind that you're looking <laughs> or always on the lookout for people to work with and people that might wanna might wanna get into the industry. What's the one bit of advice that you can I, it's, t it's two it's like n network and meet people go and be affable go and be positive be around people and, and make sure you expand on your network all the time because we all are in a position of working in music 10 years later because of our network and because of the people that we know and met along the way and have kept as friends I mean that's lucky that we've kept a strong group of friends over this amount of time but knowing your peers and knowing who these people are and, and also don't be a dick don't be it's a the dick. The one that's coming up a lot. Don't if, be a dick. If you're a dick, might be my tagline. <laughs> but if you're a dick, people will say he's a dick, and then they don't want to work with him because yep. he's a dick. And I had the conversation with uh, an A and R person yesterday about. He was like, "I'm going to meet another A and R, and I've heard he's a dick, and and I'm gonna <laughs> and I'm gonna I'll make my judgment on this meeting. And if he's a dick to me then, because he's been a dick in the past about things, then I'll never I'll never." Yeah, you know, he gets a black mark through his name, and we never work with him again. Mm -hmm. And that's and that's it. And that that it, it's, it's but that's just life skills. Meet lots of people and don't be a dick to any of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Think how many times you've you've seen people who move up the ladder very quickly and then they suddenly fall back down. What's the old age old saying? What's the the proverb or whatever it is? If you're going up, don't be a dick to people on the way up. We're going for that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that one. It's. It's just, it's just common sense, you yeah, know. Yeah. And, and have fun. Mm. We're, Enjoy it, yeah. we're in music to not have a real job. <laughs> you know, I don't, I didn't want, I, you know, all right, you sit in an office and stuff, but you sit in an office and you're not wearing a suit and mm -hmm. you can rock up hungover and you work with artists and it's, it's still a bit fun. I mean, trying to explain to your parents what you do 10 years later is still like, trying to explain to them that, what do you do? A bit of this, bit of that. A bit of wheel of dealing. Managing in there. Consultancy in there, it's yeah. it's all part of the fun. It's mm -hmm. all part of the game. We're we're doing this because we don't want to work in a a state agent. Although the money would be good, but you know, imagine, imagine yeah, it would be soul destroying. Mm. We're doing it because we want to work in a passionate industry with passionate people and get across the art side of things. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Nice one. Yeah. Thanks. Pleasure. Nice one, pal. <laughs>
by all means, get in touch with me, email me, email the show at behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com. There's six or seven more of these in this series before I take another break to do some interviews as well. So watch this space. If anybody's got any guests that they would like me to get in touch with, then by all means, let me know via that email address. Anyway, thank you very much for listening as always, and you will hear me next time. Thank you and goodbye.